Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Uh, my name is Phil, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the lead minister here. And I just want to take a few moments to think through, and really just to ask you a question. Do you know what it feels like to come home? I love that advert. I absolutely adore it. I think my favorite part of the advert is the girl with the braces and the hairband in, kind of just beaming with excitement and kind of, this is amazing, and she's never seen anything like it, and she's kind of like, wow. And I think we have a sense, don't we, an idea in our hearts and in our minds that perhaps, you know, the, what Hollywood would tell us, that the, that moment of coming home is that beautiful moment. There's a whole choir there singing welcome home as you walk through into something and get greeted. And of course, it's Christmas. And so at Christmas, that kind of we add layers of emotion on top of that, and we'll be driving home for Christmas, if you're a Chris Rea fan, or if you're a, a Buble fan, you'll be, I'll be home for Christmas. Um, I know someone else sang it originally, but you know, if Buble sang it, then it's okay, it's proper Christmas. And um, we have all these ideas. And, and you may be excited yourself for this Christmas to be, to be driving home, to be going home. If you're a student, you're probably, some of you might be quite excited to go home. But then, of course, there's others of us who are more anxious about going home, for whom going home will be difficult, because it'll be nice to start off with, but within five minutes, you know your mum is going to have said something that's really wound you up, and you just have to deal with that family tension for the next few days whilst you're at home. Or for some of us, the idea of going home is, would be wonderful. The opportunity to do that would be great, but actually life dictates that that's too difficult a thing to do at this point in time for whatever reason. And so we get excited but yet fearful of this idea of coming home. And so I say again, do you know what it feels like to come home? I've got two stories of when um, I went home. If you say that going home is going to the people you love, because this wasn't actually physically home, this was to see, um, first of all, my mum, and then my then girlfriend. So uh, in the year 2000, my, um, my parents uh, lived in Australia for the year. My dad had retired, and my mum had worked out a teaching exchange. And she, so she was teaching in Australia, which was amazing for her, um, but for me, it was the year I was graduating uni. So I kind of felt slightly abandoned. That's a whole other sermon for another time. But um, I'd got through the six, final six months of university. I'd got all my dissertation done, done my finals, and by the skin of my teeth, I'd managed to graduate. And so after university, I was going to fly out to Australia to go and see my mum and dad. Because, of course, this was the year 2000. Um, this was when the film The Beach had just come out, for any of you who remember that, with Leonardo DiCaprio. And the, the thing to do at that point in time was to go backpacking around Thailand. That was the thing to do. So I booked myself a couple of weeks ago to go do that, then going off to Australia. This was going to be the end of best holidays ever. It was going to be amazing. But because I'm soft wuss, um, I, I cancelled the Thailand bit and just flew straight to Australia. I wanted to see my mum. I wanted to go home. And so uh, my little sister was out there with my mum and dad at the time, and um, uh, she knew what was happening, but I changed my plans, but we hadn't told mum anything. And so I flew into Sydney, I got um, a taxi from the airport out to where my parents were staying, and I'm all excited, expecting this incredibly amazing 
Hollywood moment when my mum was surprised that her son had flown halfway around the world to see her, and she was getting out of the shower. So um, the thing I learned at that point, if I hadn't learned already, was that no 21-year-old son wants to see their 55-year-old mother getting out of the shower. That is not the Hollywood moment that people were expecting. But once my mum had managed to get dressed, uh, we embraced, and it was an amazing morning, and we had a lot of fun as that kind of moment of coming home. It felt so good. A couple of years after that, um, my then-girlfriend, now wife, Anna, was on her gap year at the end of university. And she had gone, she had spent a couple of months traveling around the world doing the, the kind of classic thing. And I was fortunate enough to fly out to Australia again to, to hang out with her, to meet up with her. And again, this is early 2000s. And so mobile phones were around, but we kind of did most of the communicating by email. And there was no way I was going to use a mobile phone in Australia. That was going to cost a fortune. And so um, I'd sent Anna my details, my flight details. I told her when I was getting in. She knew the exact number. And um, I naively expected her to be at the airport to meet me. And so I flew around, halfway around the world again and got my bags, came through the arrivals, and she wasn't there. She just wasn't there. And I'm stood there thinking, I don't know what to do now. Um, I don't have her number. I don't know which hostel she's staying in. I don't know how to con contact her. I'm, I'm, I'm literally stood here with no one. And then, of course, you have all those things that start running through your head. Like, actually, she doesn't really like me, and this is just a trick, and I don't know what to do. And I, I reckon Anna says it was only five minutes, that she was only five minutes late, and she claims it was only five minutes late because they got slightly lost on the way to the airport. I think my memory tell me that it was at least half an hour late. But the good news is that her friends who were traveling with her told me that the reason that she was late is because she was putting her face on <laughs> to, visit, to see her boyfriend who she hadn't seen for a long time. So, you know, it wasn't too bad. But it wasn't the Hollywood moment. There was a few crosswords at that point about the fact that she was late to meet me. You may have all sorts of feelings about what it means to come home this Christmas time. And you may have different experiences of what that might look like. As 2019 draws to a close, you may be saying, actually, this year's been really painful. Actually, going home means acknowledging loss and grief, broken relationships, or a year that just hasn't quite gone as you'd hoped or planned it would. And then on top of all of that and the stuff that we're dealing with, we have the stuff that our country is dealing with at this time. Got a general election this week, and by the end of this week, we may feel more at home in our, in our country or less at home, depending on how the result goes in your favor or not. Brexit looms large, and we don't know what the outcome of that will finally be, but it's still there and leaves us with these kind of differing political opinions growing and this sense of unease within us. Terrorism is back on the streets of London and not to even start to mention issues around poverty and climate change. Our nation feels as though it doesn't know quite what home looks like and is. And I sense 
that actually there's something deeper going on within all of us. Something deeper that says we just feel homesick. Homesick for something other than this. Is this really all life is about? Or is there something more than that? One of the greatest theologians to ever live, a man named St. Augustine, he said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. In other words, we will feel homesick until we really find our home in God. Because, of course, we are all made for something specific. When I was a kid growing up, we, had, um, we always had two jobs in our house every week. If we wanted to get our pocket money, this is what we had to do. We had to, um, I had to clean my bedroom, standard, fine. Second thing I had to do was to clean one other room. So we all had a different room in the house that we had to clean. And my room that I was assigned was the, was the lounge, which was amazing because it meant that I could spend all Saturday afternoon watching Grandstand, dusting. And, um, and I would love to watch, you know, bowls from somewhere, the horse racing from Newmarket, and mostly rugby league from Wigan, because that's all that was on at Grandstand. But I absolutely adored it. And so that was my Saturday afternoon pretty much every week. And um, we had this TV remote uh, at that stage. Remotes back then were huge. They were like bricks. They were massive devices. And on one side, you had the kind of normal kind of remote stuff, but then it was kind of in a plastic case thing, and you could take it out and turn it round, and then on the other side, you had all the, the um, controls that allowed you to look at CFAX. Now, if you don't know what CFAX it is, was, it was um, the internet before the internet um, for old people like me, and it was brilliant, and I used to love it, so you could have CFAX on, and you could watch the football scores coming in whilst watching the rugby league, and everything was happy, and that was my Saturday afternoon. And now, it must have been summertime, um, because tennis was on, and I was getting inspired by watching the tennis and loving every moment of it. And so I had in my hand the TV remote, and I got excited about what I was seeing, and me being a kind of young lad growing up, started to use my imagination. And I, this isn't weird. I'm, I know other people have done something similar to this. I threw up an imaginary tennis ball, and I served. All good, until the TV remote flew out of the plastic case that, w that was, it was held in and smashed into a million pieces on the wall, leaving a hideous mark on the wall and a broken TV remote, something I could not blame on anyone else but myself. We are made for something specific. And when we, do, when we use ourselves or think that we're being made for something else, we have that sense of disconnect. In our first reading tonight, uh, we read this from, one, uh, from John chapter 1. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was Life. You, me, us, all of us 
were made by God. We were all given life. But for what, you might ask? Well, John goes on and gives us the answer to that. Further on in the reading, he says, we are made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. We are made to be in relationship with our heavenly Father. That's what we are made for. And whenever we're not in relationship with our Father, that's where that disconnect and homesickness kicks in. In our second reading, we read this incredible, we hear this incredible story. Jesus is the master storyteller. Tells us the story of what's commonly known as the prodigal son. But actually in the story, there are two sons. The story goes on from where we left it in our reading. But actually, I like to call this the story of the ridiculous father. Because he does stuff, the father does stuff in this reading that he really should not have done. This father uh, owned property and land. He had servants working for him. He was obviously a wealthy, successful man. And his younger son comes to him and says, I want my inheritance now. And of course, we all know that to have inheritance, normally the procedure for the inheritance to be given is somebody dies. The son is effectively saying to his dad, I don't want you, I don't want relationship with you, I want what you can give me. I want stuff and things. And so the dad, the first stupid thing or ridiculous thing that the father does is he goes, okay. For the father to have given his inheritance to the son, he would have had to sell property, sell land. He would have had to divide up his estate. And what they would have done in ancient Near East, in Jesus' time at that point, what they would have done is the the oldest son would have been given two-thirds of the property because he deserved or was required a double portion of blessing from the father. So the second son would have got one-third. And literally the father would have had to sell up stuff and give it away and then give the money to the son. But of course in that community, in that time, he was also giving up his status his kind of status within society, his standing. People have gone, what are you doing? And yet he chose to do it. And he gave this to his young son. The younger son ran off, wasted all of it, squandered it on fast and wild living. And then the famine came and he was lowest of lows. He had nothing. And the only job that he could get was to feed pigs. And so he's feeding these pigs so hungry himself that he would rather eat the food that he's giving to the pigs, but of course he can't do that because it's his job. And he comes to his senses and he thinks, the people who work for my dad get treated better than this. I'll go home to my dad. Again, note, he doesn't go home to start relationship with his father. He goes home because he wants stuff and things. He goes, okay, I'll I'll concoct a kind of story in my mind. I'll go back and I'll say, look, I've wronged you, God, and I've wronged you, Father, and please forgive me. I've done wrong. Please now hire me and give me a job. And he heads for home. We don't know quite what he was picturing coming home would feel like for him, but the second ridiculous thing that the father does as he sees his son walking towards him is the father runs to the sun. Men in that time did not run. 
It was not the dignified thing to do. Kids ran, not fathers. He would have to hoik up his kind of dressy, tunicky thing or whatever it was that they were wearing. He had to pick it up and he would have to run. It was undignified, but he was overcome with emotion and he runs to his son. He throws his arms around him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He is so over the moon. This is the Hollywood moment that we now picture and he embraces him. At this point, like kind of the people around him are going, what? This is what's going on, what's going on? And he says, quick, bring some clothes, kill the fattened calf, let's have a party. My son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive. Put the family ring on his finger. Remember, at this point, the son, all he wants is stuff and things, but the father is giving him an item, giving him something. And in those days, you wouldn't have a family signature or a sign or anything like that. You would have a signet ring that you would perhaps dip in wax and then make a mark with. You would, that would confer family status. And the dad places it, he gives it to his son, and he gives him relationship. He says, you are part of my family. It's a gift freely given. Well, of course, the second part of the story, the older son that we haven't quite heard about yet, he's out in the fields, he's doing the job that he's supposed to be doing, and as he comes back towards the house, he sees the party going on, and he's like, what's happening, what's happening? And they say, ah, your brother's returned, and he throws his toys out of the pram. It's like, this is not fair, this is not fair. And so now the dad has to go out again, and this time he goes out to the older son. And the uh, the older son says to the dad, "I've, I've worked for you. I've done everything. I've never given you any moment of grief. And yet you've never given me anything. Never, no party ever for my family, or for my friends, rather. He's standing there like the petulant teenager going, it's not fair. And the dad, again, having gone out to his son, says, look, your brother who was dead is now alive. We had to celebrate. Because everything that I have is yours. What does he mean by that? He means I've only got two-thirds of my property left. It literally is yours, son. You could have had this at any point. But this other son, he was gone and now he's come back. I don't know how you feel, whether you connect with one brother more than the other. Maybe you feel as though you've run away from God into a living that has left you feeling broken and hurt. No, if that's you, God runs to you this Christmas time. It may be that you feel more like the older son who's, I've done the right thing. I've been who I should be. I've never given you a moment's grief. I've done everything. But actually, you still just want stuff and things. You want, you want what's fair. When Jesus talks about a father in a story, he always means God. And God goes out to the older son as well as to the younger son and embraces and welcomes him. He says, come on, let's have a relationship. Let's be together. This was all yours anyway. So I ask you again, do you know what it feels like to come home? In 2013, um, Tom Hanks put out a film called Captain Phillips. 
Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. I think um, Tom Hanks is phenomenal in this film. It's based on a true story. A true story of Captain Phillips, who was um, the captain of a cargo ship going from Oman down to Kenya. A uh, huge, one of these massive cargo ships uh, sailing around. And they were attacked by Somalian pirates. Four pirates jumped on board. Uh, but it was Captain Phillips's fast thinking, his ability to uh, work through stuff that kept all of his crew safe. But what happens, what ends up, is he ends up being sacrificed. Kind of, He gets onto a lifeboat, captured onto a lifeboat that is released from their cargo ship. And he's on this lifeboat with four pirates, with guns pointed at his head, being beaten up, tortured, until eventually the Navy turn up and the, the SEALs, the US Navy SEALs. And this dramatic rescue happens, but he has been through hideous uh, moments, including when uh, the three pirates that were left in the boat with him were all executed and he was blindfolded in it. And there was terror upon terror upon terror. But the final scene is when he comes home. But she's, she keeps saying, you're safe, you're okay, you're safe. Everything's going to be all right. He is welcomed home. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus stepped into our world. In John, we read that the, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He interrupts our world to invite us into relationship with him. I know it doesn't look like it, but the other week I was in the gym and I was... Um, I was on the machine that I hate the most, the one that you kind of have to do this for. It really hurts, because it, it feels like your arms are going to be ripped off when they go backwards. And I'm lifting about three weights. Like, it's pathetic. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but, I, but I feel like I should be doing something. And as I'm doing it, this, this guy walks up to me, this monster of a man, muscles everywhere, and um, starts talking to me. And I... I had my headphones in, and so I couldn't hear what he was saying, so I take my headphone out and still can't really hear what he says, so I take the other one out. And it turns out all he wanted to know is how long I'm going to be on the machine. And so I, 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 I said, I think I need to do one more set. I think that's the phrase that you use. And, and he's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'm just making it up, and you're Mr. Intimidating. And, and I finished my stuff, and then we, we just get into a conversation. He's like, ah, oh, so if you, if you want some help, I can tell you what you should be doing or how you should be doing this. I can... And we got talking about what he does for a living, and he's a teacher, and I tell him I'm a vicar, and, and this 15-minute conversation developed because I'd taken my headphones out. For that moment, my world had been interrupted, and in the interruption, relationship had started. The word became flesh and blood and moves into your neighborhood. The father runs to the youngest son. The father went out to see the older son. God comes to us. He interrupts wherever you are, whatever life is about, and invites you into a relationship with him. This Christmas, you can come home.